I stayed with Lieutenant Dan and celebrated the holidays. Have you found Jesus yet, no? I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, sir. <laughs> That's all these cripples down at the VA. That's all they ever talk about. Jesus this and Jesus that. <laughs> Have I found Jesus? They even had a priest come and talk to me. Now, if I accept Jesus into my heart, I'll get to walk beside him in the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear what I said? Walk. I'm going to heaven, Lieutenant Dane. So I went to church every Sunday. Sometimes Lieutenant Dane came too, though, I think he left the praying up to me. No shrimp. Where's this God of yours? It's funny Lieutenant Dan said that, because right then, God showed up. Cliffhanger. I promise we'll let you know if Lieutenant Dan makes it out, because I'm sure you don't know. Uh, and Forrest at the end of that scene, and we'll get back to it by the end of the sermon. But I wanted to leave it there, because Lieutenant Dan has had it with God. I mean, he's absolutely had it. He's, he's letting God have it. You call this a storm? And he's taking his stand. Let me ask you a question. He's trying to find peace. He's trying to find life. He's, he's trying to, you know, release some anger. Where do you stand to find peace in the storms of your life? And you know, it's like, okay, duh, we stand with Jesus. This is church. We know the answer is Jesus. We stand with Jesus. Follow-up question. Where does Jesus stand? Are you sure you know? Are you sure? And what do you base that on? Do you base that on something somebody told you? So somebody said, this is where Jesus stands. This is what belonging to Christ, which is literally what a Christian means. This is what it means to be a Christian. Where does Jesus stand? And are you sure that you know where he stands? Not just on the issues in our world today, but where does he stand as sort of the macro themes that are, are woven throughout the scripture? Where does he stand? What, what stands out for Jesus? What stands out? Because the answer is with Jesus. That's how we find peace in the storms. But how do we find Jesus? How do we find out where he really stands instead of just making up a Jesus that's comfortable for me? Or making up a Jesus that's comfortable for you? You got your Jesus, you got your God, I got my Jesus or my God, I, I got my spirituality, you got your spirituality. How do we know? Is there any truth or is it all just relative? Is it all just depend? Is it just, it, it doesn't matter. It's just as long as you believe in something, right? What, whatever the world says. But what does that lead to? 
Does that give you enough to fight the storms in your life, to find peace in the storms? Is it potent enough? Is it true enough? Is it powerful enough? Does it allow you to get through the hard times? Not just, I mean, when the days are good and happy, it's easy to say, oh, praise God, I'm here. Yay, God, you're the best. What about if your daughter's just diagnosed with cancer? What, 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 what if you're facing a, a divorce all of a sudden that just came out of the blue? What, what, what if you're grieving the death of a loved one? What, what if you got passed over again for a promotion at work that you deserved? What if the kids at school are mocking you and teasing you because you, for some reason you try so hard, but you don't quite fit in? What if you just feel kind of aimless and you're wandering and you don't really know what you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to do? You say, well, if I could figure out good answers to those questions, then I'd have peace. Then I'd be able to, to, to find that. You know, like Lieutenant Dan's looking for it. I'm looking for it too. Maybe you can relate to Lieutenant Dan. I love the scene where Forrest invites him to church. I'm so glad they put this in this Academy Award-winning movie. When the storms and floods rage, we turn to something deeper. And that's why we come here. It's why we do what we're doing right now. Wherever you might be, uh, our friends in Liberia are tuning in right now. Other local sites, hello to all of you. Campuses of Hope, people watching online at sports tournaments, or you're at the, in St. Louis for the Missouri Valley Conference Championship, and you're going to be cheering on Drake because the coach goes here and his son goes here, and Erica Horseman's nephew is a starting guard on the Drake team. I mean, it's... it's pretty much the Hope Intramural team playing for the MVC championship out there today. Why is it that, that we tune in? If you're tuning in wherever you are what, to, to worship together online, why, why do we show up? Why do we go to, those of you who are, who've got little kids at home, why do you go to all the trouble of bringing them to Sunday school? We call Hope Kids here. And then coming into worship. Why fight the crowds in the parking lot? Why go through it all? It's not entirely convenient. We try to make it as easy as possible for a crowd this big, but you know, why? What are we doing here? There's all sorts of reasons. We could do a whole series of sermons on this, but I want to point you to some of the highlights and what we've learned as we've been reading through the whole Holy Bible together in a year. Here's why we worship and do it together, because you can worship fishing by yourself, uh, playing golf, taking a hike, wandering around. Yeah, you, you can worship that way for sure. But is it complete? Is there still going to be something missing? Is there something to be said for worshiping together? And the answer is yes. And it gets into these Hebrew words, Shabbat and Nuach. Everyone say Shabbat. Shabbat is a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. It shows up at the very beginning, the opening chapters of Genesis, which tell us about how God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, it says, was a Shabbat day. God rested. And then in Exodus, he commands us to have a Shabbat, to have a Sabbath, to have a, it just literally, it's simple definition. It just means rest, to have a day of rest. And it it's physical rest. Make sure you're giving your body enough physical rest. Take a nap if you need to, whatever it is. Get enough sleep. It can be emotional rest. It could be hanging out with people you just love to hang out with. They breathe life into you. It can be a rest that's spiritual. It has to be. It's commanded to be. Because God doesn't just say, remember the Sabbath day by taking a nap. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That it's set apart so that you can have communion with God and communion with one another. Shabbat. 
But then there's this other word in the opening chapters of Genesis, this Hebrew word in the original text called nuach. Everyone say nuach. Now apologize and wipe down the, the person in front of you. <laughs> nuach means to dwell. Nuach, nu, nuach means to, to settle. That God settles the storms inside of us. That he dwells inside of us. What if I told you that the Bible says, not just like what I want you to believe, that you have God's word on this truth, that you can have peace before the storm ends. That you can have nuach by having a Shabbat, by having rest days, by getting into the rhythm into which you've been created. Six days of work, one day is holy. One day is set apart for communion with God and with other people to revive us, to restore us, to renew us physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every way. What if I told you that God wants to dwell with you? That he, wants to, that he wants to settle you? He wants to settle and calm the storms in you and in me. And that's one of the opportunities you have every time you come to worship together as the body of Christ. And we're better together. Our songs sound better together. We praise better together. We pray better together. We get into God's word better together. Because we were made for this. We're wired to do this. It's exercise for our souls and we're wired to hear God's word, to praise God. The Bible says this. You've been created to praise. And you and I, we don't get to vote on that. It's just who you are. He says, I don't feel like praising God. I come here and I can't wait for the music to be over. He says, why can't we sing a traditional hymn once in a while? We do. And we do it all Sunday morning long down the hall in the chapel if that's your jam. We've got that for you. But look deeper. Look deeper than whether that's your preference or the way you like it. Don't miss what God has for you here. This is a Shabbat. This is an opportunity for the Spirit to settle you. For God to give you a nuach experience. To dwell in you. He's invited you and me into his house. He's invited us to come together in community in his house. So that we can experience and get to know him better. The more you hang out in somebody's house, when I think about my college roommate, my best friend, Dave, and his mom, Mrs. Milbrandt, when I couldn't get all the way back to Chicago for a mid-semester break, I'd go to Mrs. Milbrandt's house, and I started to call her mom, and she started to call me her other son. Because the more time I'd spend in Dave's house and Mrs. Milbrandt's house, my, my second mom's house, the, the more I got to know them and who they are, and so it is with God's house. Come into my, this isn't my house. This church, this isn't your house. This is God's house. We're invited in by the grace of God. Forrest invited Lieutenant Dan to church. And even though he's lingering in the back, as sometimes people do, I see the view up here is amazing. <laughs> I know when you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. I know when you're checking your social media. I can see it all. There's that little glow on your face from looking down like this. But you could be just looking at your Bible app, so I'm going to go with that. I get it. And then I, I see people hanging out in the back sometimes. We, um, I love that. I love that. They're in, they're out, they're in, they're in. They're, ah, I can't take it anymore. And then they come back in. Well, maybe a little more. Lieutenant Dan is welcome here. Oh, I hope, hope that you will always be a church. Generations after I'm out of here. 
I hope you'll always be a church that says, we are just a holy huddle for people who agree with us. We're a, we're a hangout for people who are looking because they are getting battered by the storms in their life. And they're wandering. They might be alcoholics and drug addicts and, and convicted felons and people who've wandered away and they may not look right according to you. They may not fit in with the, with the norm that you might have or I might have. God bless them. I hope they know. I hope you know that they're always welcome here. That we always want God to bring everybody here. We've been praying for them. We don't think it's an accident. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're not standing in the back. Maybe you're just sitting there. Maybe you found a seat, but you're like, eh, I'm Lieutenant Dan, I'm not Forrest. I'm not singing in the choir. I'm the guy in the back who's wished I had a flask of, you know, a little something a little stiffer than the communion wine today right now. Because I'm not sure what to think of all this. I'm not sure if I fit in here. I'm not sure if this Jesus thing is for me. And I'm really not sure if his followers are for me. We are for you. And so is Jesus, more importantly. That's the Shabbat and the new Ak, and it's holy, and we need it. We've been wired up for it. We've been created in this rhythm. This is the rhythm into which creation was, was born into this world, into which we get the breath of life, and we're better doing it together. We're also better getting into God's word together, which is why we're reading the whole Holy Bible together. Why would we study scripture together? Why not just do it on your own? Why not just do your own individualized, privatized Bible reading plan? Well, that's better than nothing. But it's way better together because you have accountability and you have support. And you have somebody in a Bible study who says, well, actually, what you're doing right there is, is reading and interpreting Scripture that way is you just invented a whole new religion. <laughs> and it isn't in alignment with Scripture or the totality of the rest of the stories that, that are woven through, from the book of Genesis through Revelation. When we study Scripture together, we're going to hear God. We're going to know God because God is love. So we're going to know God's love. We're going to know what love really is instead of what the wisdom of the world says it is. We're going to be strengthened in our faith. We're going to find hope for right now and for eternity in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we're going to find salvation. We'll be saved. We'll find joy. We'll find peace and truth and freedom and purpose and direction and mission in life. And we will have a word check that will keep us out of the ditches. There's a um, thing that's happening in the Christian church in this country over the last half a generation or so where uh, church leaders, preachers, teachers, radio, TV, in person, on blogs, whatever, they say, here I stand. I started the sermon by asking you where you stand. Here's where I stand and here's where our church stands and it's bold. Because this is Bible. We're a Bible church. We stand here. We're courageous. We're, strong. We're not timid and cowardly like those churches that won't stand with us on all the big issues of our day. Because what could be more important than that? Here we stand with the Bible, with Jesus. That's what it's all about. And they reduce Christianity to a set of moral codes and rules. And then you read the Bible and you realize, huh, something's off here. These bold, Bible-based preachers and teachers who stand in these places and say, anybody who doesn't have the courage to... Oh, courage, really? Are you getting more attention for it? How are your offerings when you stand over there? Don't they go up? I could do that. We could do that. All the preachers and teachers here could do that. We could preach sermons that tickle your ears, 
that, that, that to go ahead and affirm the hatred, the prejudice, the injustice, the stuff that's in our sinful nature, to say, call the darkness dark, call the evil evil, call it out. Yes, the Bible definitely has some clear lines that are drawn, and we will take those stands. I've got enough suits that I've ruined that are in the garbage heap because I had to preach those sermons on those issues, and it's not comfortable at all. For the pre- it's not comfortable for you to hear them, I'm sure, either, because sometimes Jesus doesn't stand where we want him to stand. Yes, I get it. We need to take stands. We need to say, this is what God's word says about these things. Yes, 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 yes. But this is month three now of us reading through the whole Holy Bible together in a year. I want you to pay attention now, not just to the details of what you're reading, but to themes. Have you noticed that there are themes that keep getting repeated, that God's word keeps coming back to. And if you notice these themes are not, do this, don't do that. The themes are not on the things that these bold and courageous preachers say they're all about. Where do you stand? You say, well, I stand with Jesus. Are you sure that's where Jesus stands? Based on what a preacher says? You know, the thing about God's word is it allows you to check us, myself included, every preacher and teacher here, to make sure that we're not leading you astray, that we aren't teaching you to go a little too far this way or a little too far that way. It's, it's like a golfer. Some, some of you play golf and you know. So, so I learned how to play golf and I was taught by nobody who was a pro. And so my stance was wrong and my grip was wrong. And there's a couple of people in our church family who are golf pros. And I went to a driving range and, and one of those golf pros, she was there that day. And she says, Mike, why do you stand like that? That's why you slice all the time. He's like, well, could you say it a little nicer? (laughs) And so she says, look, look, look. You've been told that's where you're supposed to stand, to hit a golf ball. By well-meaning people, I, I do think some of these preachers and teachers really believe what they say. They really believe this is what the Bible is all about. But it makes me wonder, have they read it? Have they actually read through the whole thing? Have they found the, the themes, the, the stuff you can't miss if you actually read it and you do it with accountability? She says, here, just, just move this foot this way and, and open this a little bit and turn this and you do this, stand like this. Not, I'm going to tell you how I stood. It was embarrassing, all right? And she says, let me see your grip. How, how are you holding the club? And she says, your knuckles are, it's too tight. I said, well, grip it and rip it, just like John Daly, right? I mean, come on. That's how you get the distance. She's like, loosen it up. Loosen it and move this hand over a little bit and and turn this one this way. I was like, well, it is more comfortable. Exactly. You were made to hold a golf club like this. And this is how you're supposed to stand. And she says, now take your same swing. You have a, she did compliment me on my swing. She said, Keep your head down, keep your eye on the ball, keep your, grus- your, your grip looser, keep your stance right, swing through it, and I hit, went straight, and it was long, and it wasn't the way I usually hit it straight off the tee, where it's like, whoa, that's a, that's a drive to behold. I haven't golfed a lot for the last 10 years, so just humor me, this is what I remember. Who has five hours to kill anymore? So yeah, the ball goes out, and then all of a sudden it's like, and it lands two fairways to the right. That's what you call a slice. 
And that's the way a lot of Christian thinking is this day. It looks so good right off the, off the tee. It's like, woo! That's it. That's the truth. That's bold. That's what we need. Let them have it, preacher. Point you for judgment, 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 judgment. Shame, 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 shame. Do better. Do better. Try harder. Come on. Like we do is the implication, of course. You sure that's where Jesus stands? Because he doesn't. He stands over here in a place of grace. And this is going to allow you to stop slicing or, or duck hooking, right? You hit the ball and it starts quacking, whack, 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 as it goes left. But you change where you stand. Not because it's popular to do it or you want to be more bold or courageous, but you actually take the boldest and most courageous stand, which is a stance of grace and love and mercy and peace. And this is the part that's really kind of challenging. We have to start seeing people the way God sees them. Which starts with grace and ends with grace. And as you build trust with those people, there's a call to repentance and to change. Yes, 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 that's in the Bible. And we will continue to include that in the Bible. And we'll emphasize repentance as much as the Bible emphasizes repentance. But we won't formalize the Bible into pious denominational phrases and religious traditions. This is why we want you to read the Bible together. Not just your pastors read it and tell, tell you what it says. We want you to read it. We want you to learn it so that you can live it out. So that you can live the life that God has created you to live. And it includes the Shabbat, and it includes Nuwak, and it includes God dwelling with you and settling you on a weekly basis at a minimum so that you can find peace not after the storms are gone, but right in the middle of the storms. Check yourself before you wreck yourself spiritually. Avoid the ditches. The problem with, with legalism on the right and relativism on the left Spiritually speaking, I'm not talking about politically, I'm talking about spiritually, spiritually, theologically speaking. We've always, for a generation, said we want this church to be a safe place theologically, spiritually, which means we aren't going to stray from God's word and we want you to know God's word so you hold us accountable. That we actually tell you what it says instead of what you want it to say. Instead of what it would be more comfortable if it said. And we want to tell you what it emphasizes and what its themes are. Instead of pretending it's a bunch of stuff that it gets played out for amongst the bold and courageous preachers. Let God's word be God's word. Let it comfort you and challenge you. Let it settle you. Let it help you find your way. Because there's no other way to peace. There's no other way to peace for Lieutenant Dan, for Forrest, for you. And so Jesus says, you will have, we will have great peace. The Bible says, God's word says, because we love God's word and nothing can cause us to stumble. Now you're hitting it straight and long. Now you've found where Jesus stands. Now you've found where you're supposed to be. Now you don't have this super tight grip where you're controlling God. But you let, as the golf pro said, let the club do the work. You just swing through it. You just go for the ride. Now you're on a pathway of faithfulness that leads to peace. In our Bible reading this last week, in the New Testament side of things, it was Luke 5, 6, and 7. If you read it, you're like, 
Whoo, that was wild. That was radical. And it is. And it starts right here. Jesus gets up and he preaches his sermon on the plain. People are like, see, this is my problem. It's Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? In Matthew's gospel, it's a sermon on the mount. In Luke's gospel, it's a sermon on the plain. So the Bible's contradicting itself. Which one is it? Have you never been in a church that does two services on a Sunday? You're in one. I preached this same sermon a half hour ago down the hall on the plain. And now here I am standing on a mount, preaching the same sermon to two different crowds. I'm not contradicting myself. It's, it's like Jesus did his sermon on the mount at the early service. And then at the late service, he went down to a plane, and they're like, can you do it again? Yeah, I will. And then after that, they had Sunday fun day, and everybody went home. <laughs> Easy does it on the whole. Oh, it contradicts itself. Really? Take a closer look. But now, more importantly, let me ask you, which list would you rather be on, the orange one or the blue one? Those of you who are color uh, challenged, the one on the left or the one on the right? Wh which list would you rather be on? Well, I'll lead. I'd rather be in the blue box. I'd rather be rich, well-fed, laughing, and praised by crowds. Then I'd have peace, says the wisdom of this world. And until you're rich and well-fed and laughing and praised by other people and honored and appreciated and recognized, until you get there, you won't have peace. There's a Greek word for it, wuai, which means woe. Woe to you who think you need these things in order to find peace, in order to find life, in order to find joy. Because that isn't the way. Oh, it doesn't mean you won't be happy. You can get really happy if you get rich and you have a really good meal and you're laughing with friends and you're praised by other people. Of course it's going to make you happy. But it's kind of, you know, fleeting, isn't it? Depends on whether you're having a good day, or a good week, or a good year, or a good decade. What if I told you God's word says you can have joy and peace even on the orange list, before you get to the blue list, even if you never get to the blue list? You could have joy. What if I told you happiness is fleeting and depends on your circumstances? I got the new car, so I'm happy until it's not a new car anymore. We finally got the kitchen renovated, so I'm happy, until you feel like you need to renovate the bathroom. We, 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 finally, we finally got into that college I wanted to get into, and so now I'm happy. How long will it last? Is it enough? Is it soul satisfying? I finally got the promotion at work that I've deserved. I finally have people at school who like me. I finally got there, now I can be happy, and you're right. If all you're living for is fleeting happiness, it will come, it will go, it will come, it will go, and it will always depend on circumstances. And in a fallen world, oftentimes those circumstances are going to be really stormy. But Jesus comes along to take this upside-down world and turn it right-side-up, or downside-up, to make right which has gone, that which is wrong. And so he begins by saying... I want to tell you, you don't have to graduate from poor to rich, from hungry to well-fed, from weeping to laughing, from hated to praised. And in the beauty and the precision of Luke's gospel, which is God's word, it's these parallels. Maybe you missed that as you were reading it through it, reading through it. Jesus is saying, here, this is where the joy is. Blessed are those who are poor and are hungry and are weeping and are hated and mocked because they have something deeper. They don't need their life to be going perfectly. 
They don't need to graduate to the blue box in order to have joy, which is kind of really important for all of us. No matter how rich and well-fed you are, or I am, it really doesn't matter because that won't be enough. There's a survey that went out not that long ago that said, how much money do you need to make in order to be happy? And you know what the answer was? Instead of a number amongst Americans, it was twice as much. No matter where you are, it's always more. And the Bible says this, those who fall in love with their money will never have enough. You'll hit a goal and be like, yeah, but if I could only have double, if I could only have more, if I could only get a little further, then I'd be happy. So it doesn't last. Jesus says, makarioi. It has nothing to do with Macarena, but now you won't forget. Makarioi means blessed. The Beatitudes, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry. But it's deeper than that. It means a joy that doesn't depend on how things are going. It's a joy that is grounded in a relationship with God who dwells with you, who settles in you. And so because he loves you, he says, make sure you carve out one day a week for that at least, where I will settle into you, where I will calm the storms in you, where you will come and worship me, where your spirit will be restored as a part of the body of Christ, where you will experience a peace that passes, what does the Bible say? A peace that passes all human understanding because the human understanding says, I got to get over here in order to have peace. And Jesus says radically, actually, no. You need to start standing where I stand in order to have peace. You need to let me dwell with you in order to have peace. You need to let me settle into your soul in order to have peace. You need to get into that. And if you have that, you can have joy before everything gets better. You can have joy while the storms are still raging. Now that's a powerful gift. And nothing less will do. And in a world that guarantees you will not have a perfect life, that's a gift you ought to apply to your daily life. And it can only come by figuring out where Jesus stands and learning to stand with him and making room and time in your life for the, for, for the God who made you and loves you to settle you, to calm the storms in you. Jesus goes on and he says in this same sermon on the plane, more challenging words, love your enemies. You're like, oh, that's hard. But we'll love them. You don't have to like what they do. You don't have to, don't bless sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. As I said in the sermon last week, when Jesus hung out with sinners, they changed. He didn't. It's not about sin blessing. It's not about not noticing the, the sin in somebody else's, the fleck of sin in their eye. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's just saying, don't make that your thing. You're, 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 don't reduce Christianity to that's what it's all about. Judgment. Love your enemies. See them the way God sees them, with eyes of grace, the way God sees you. Start seeing other people the way God sees you. Next verse, verse 28 of Luke 6, bless those who curse you. Next verse, verse 29, it keeps getting bumpier. If someone slaps you off or the other cheek, oh, come on, Jesus. Let me just punch him right in the kisser. <laughs> come on. I, I want to get revenge. That's everything in my nature wants to get revenge. Yeah, our sinful human nature wants revenge. And then what does that lead to? When somebody goes after someone, I want to just get behind my keyboard on social media and slam people. 
I'm going to give them a one-star review. That'll do it. I've had small business owners in tears in my office telling me what one-star reviews do to their business, how it crushes them. There might be a time for that, but let me ask you, did you go to the business owner one-on-one and deal with it? Did you give them a chance to make right what went wrong, or did you just get behind your keyboard and let them have it? Somewhere along the way early on, somebody told me, and I've been trying to follow this, unless I can give a five-star review, I don't go public with my grievances. I don't go out there and start slamming people so I can get points as, as a Google kind of person who's wandering around and rating or Facebook or wherever it is. All these places. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Someone slaps you off of the other cheek. Next verse. When things are taken away, don't try to get them back. Following, following you, standing where you stand, Jesus, is hard. Where's the part where you say, Shame on you, all you terrible people. The only time Jesus gets hot like that is when he finds self-righteous religious people. Shame on you. You should know better. You should know what God's word says. You should know what the themes are. You should know that at its core, it's about mercy and grace and seeing people the way God sees you. Jesus goes on on the next screen. There it is. He starts to conclude. He says, don't judge others. Forgiven, you'll be forgiven. Given, you'll receive. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log? The original word is dokos in the Greek and your own. Stop pointing the finger and saying, I'm doing this because I'm taking a bold and courageous stand, which is what Christianity is supposed to be. Not in the Bible, it's not. Not if you're reading. Not if you're applying. Not if you're living it out. Read it, learn it, and live it so that you can be free, so that you can live the life God created you to live. And it isn't a life of judgment and shame producing and just pouncing on people and using the word of God like a club to smack people over the head. And the obvious implication is that's you, that's not us. We're better than you because we don't fill in the blank here, do this moral thing, this immoral thing you do. That's just not the point of the Bible. There's just... Just no way to come to that conclusion if you actually read it. Why worry, Jesus says, about that speck of sin in your friend's eye and you spend all your time trying to flick it out when you've got a log in your own. But the Greek word actually means a beam upon which the logs of the planks are built. It's the excuse we give to give all these shots of judgment at the world around us. Instead, Jesus concludes, these words that I'm sharing with you, that I'm speaking to you, are not mere additions to your life. They're not tips. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're a transformational foundation. They change everything. They are foundation words, words to build your whole life upon, words to build your whole life upon, words to build your whole life upon. Where do you stand? The world wants to know, where do you stand? And the Christian says, I stand with Jesus. I stand on the word of God. Are you sure that's what the word of God says? Do you know or did somebody just tell you that's what it says? Read it for yourself and read it in the community of of this church, the body of Christ and the world around you. These are foundational words, the word of God. Words to build your life upon. They're game changers. Next verse, Jesus wraps up the sermon by saying, if you work these words of God into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who dug deep. Everyone say, dig deep. Dig deep, deep, hope. Dig deep into God's word. 
Dig deeper into God's word. And it becomes the foundation upon which your life, your house, is built on solid rock, on bedrock, in this really accurate English translation of the original Greek. You notice downtown, whenever they build a tall building, I grew up in Chicago, so every once in a while you drive around downtown and, and they'd be getting ready to build a new skyscraper. But it doesn't start by just building, you know, story after story after story. It starts by digging a big hole, several stories deep. It takes a long time to pour and to set up that foundation. It goes through the soft soil and the bay mud until it finally hits bedrock. You don't see it, but it's there so that you know the building is strong. So you know that it's built on bedrock, on solid rock, which is God's word, which leads to peace. Does that describe your life? The source of, of direction for you, purpose and meaning? What you turn to to find love and joy and peace? That you've got your life, your house, your being firmly built on the bedrock, the timeless truth of God's word? It'll set you free. It'll give you peace. So back to Captain Dan, I promise. When the storms and floods rage against you, you'll continue to stand strong and unshaken if you're built on a rock. I'm going to show you this really short clip and then we'll have some wine. But you know what? It's the power of this meal that I hope you don't miss. You don't have to elevate Holy Communion into something it's not. But if you just let this Holy Communion meal be what it actually is, it'll blow you away. It's a tiny little piece of bread and a little teeny tiny, smaller than a shot glass, little squirt of wine because we're Lutherans and we want to take good care of your offering dollars. And it's cheap wine and it's really bad. <laughs> but it's fresh. None of that old stale stuff for this church. We're getting the stuff they just made. Or the grape juice that doesn't have alcohol in it, the white grape juice, if that's for you. Just let it be what it is, because Jesus, where does he stand on Holy Communion? He says, that little bread, I'm in it. Me, the Savior of the world. It's the body of Christ, Jesus says. Given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. That little Mogan David, I'm in it. It's still cheap wine, but it's the most valuable drink you'll ever have. This is the blood of Christ. That's what Jesus says. It's my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Just let it be what it is, it'll blow you away. We don't have to. We don't have to like turn this whole thing into a pep rally for Jesus or oftentimes for ourselves. Pointing people to us as churches or preachers or teachers and our stands and our judgment and our shame and our bold, courageous, here we stand statements. Here we stand in this church, humble, on a knee, with fear and trembling, before a holy God, and say, Jesus, where we're wrong, correct us. We want to stand with you. We want to sound like you sound. We want to say what you said. We want to teach what you taught. 
We don't want to proof text passages of scripture in order to build our case that's really comfortable for us and what Christianity is supposed to be all about. We want to take the whole. We want to find out the movement of scripture. We want you to dwell with us and settle us. We want you to change our stance when we need to change our stance because you said so. Not because the world says so or the latest poll says so. We want to stand with you. So when the storms and floods rage, which they will in this fallen world, we'll find peace. Even before we can walk, like Lieutenant Dan. came through here yesterday destroying nearly everything in its path and is in other towns up and down the coast biolabatory's entire shrimping industry has fallen victim to carmen and has been left in utter ruin speaking with local officials this reporter has learned in fact only one shrimping boat actually survived the storm louise louise that's forced after that shrimping was easy like to see what Lieutenant Dan looks like? Well, yes, I would. That's him right there. Hmm. And let me tell you something about Lieutenant Dan. Forrest. I never thanked you for saving my life. He never actually said so, but I think he made his peace with God. And so he did. Before he could walk, Lieutenant Dan made his peace with God, and so can you. Before the storm passes that you're in right now, before it gets better, stand with Jesus.